It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. Hi, uh, camps. Uh, welcome to the program. You are a reporter for TechCrunch and also a pitch coach. I'm excited to have you on because you have talked and have uh, learned a lot from, heard a lot from tech founders, both early, mid, and late stage. And you know a ton. I feel like you've just been around for a long time and I'm just ready to to learn from you about what what you have have learned and hopefully share with my community. Welcome on Great Mondays Radio. Hello, thank you for having me. Awesome. So you you've been a uh, you've been around tech for a long time. Quickly tell me how did you how did you get here? What have you uh, what were your uh, bona fides and uh, how did you get to be a reporter for TechCrunch? Yeah, well, I have the world's weirdest background. So I have a, a journalism degree, ended up working in, as a TV producer for many years. Uh, kind of started my first startup by accident. Uh, I just wanted to do a Kickstarter campaign, did a Kickstarter campaign, and then realized, oh, crap, now I have to actually start a company and do all the things that come with that. And since then, you know, I I love a good opportunity. So I kind of have been weaving through opportunistically uh, doing all sorts of interesting things. So I, I've started uh, five startups. I was in TechCrunch. Uh, I became a TechCrunch writer for a while. So I have been talking to lots and lots of founders and VCs, and that ecosystem is my kind of wheelhouse. I was in VC for a while as the director of portfolio for a VC firm, which basically means I was like an industrial scale business mentor to uh, a portfolio of about 100 companies. Turns out you learn a lot from that, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yeah, so at the end of that, I ended up, uh, you know, my last company was very successful for a hot minute and then came crashing down as startups are wont to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, TechCrunch came back to me. He's like, hey, you seem bored. Do you want to come back and write for us? Uh, <laughs> and they were like, we have three months worth of budget we need to spend. Come and join us for three months. Well, that's two years I... ago and I'm still there. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm doing doing that. the TechCrunch thing about half the time. And the other half, I'm a, a pitch coach. So I'm helping startups find their stories and find their narratives that work for VCs. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm on, I'm with you on that. Being a former brand guy, I believe deeply in stories and that's definitely part of the the role culture plays. So, um in your experience, your vast experience talking to um these the startups both, you know, early mid late, where do they tend to uh where does culture tend to st- start to pick, play a role, I guess. When does it start to yeah. bubble up? I think before the company even gets founded. Oh, really? Tell me, yeah. what, what do you mean? Well, I think, you know, nobody does a startup for fun, right? Startups are incredibly hard. They're horrible. Like they're all around horrible, stressful, yeah. bad for mental health. It's, it's very, very hard to do a startup. And so there's a drive, there's a passion, there's a mission. Like I look for that in the founders I work with, right? So if somebody doesn't have, like a really big reason for why they're doing what they're doing. I'm like, just get yourself a real job. So the 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 drive, which is culture, right? The mission, which is culture, needs mm. to be there since day minus one almost. And the interesting thing that happens is that a lot of founders solve a problem that they understand, right? Because they're a technical person or because they have deep domain expertise. 
But in the long run, the job of the CEO is only three things. It's make sure you don't run out of cash. It's hire the right people and set the culture for the company. And good CEOs know that even if the team is only two or three people strong, those are the three things that cannot drop the ball on. Like they do everything else, like early stage CEOs also replace the printer toner and make the tea. <laughs> but as, as, you, as the company grows and you kind of delegate more and more your, of your responsibilities, if you don't do those three things, you're doing a bad job. And the culture piece of that is the thing that I think people forget about the most often. Yeah, uh, that's uh, I. I'm glad to hear you say it. it feels very validating because I do feel like that's an important piece of it. And you know what I continue to observe, and even when companies scale and um, even go public, the, that culture piece doesn't. Maybe maybe they can off that they should be offloading that hiring the right people. Um, the product market fit should be there. They obviously have to help manage that cash and and the and the the flow. But the culture piece sticks around, or mm -hmm. at least that's what I've observed. And I'd love to know is that is is that your reflection as well? That the that cult that that third piece is something that regardless of what scale company you're at, continues to be a really important part of the executive's role. Oh, 100 percent One hundred percent. And I think it all flows, like a lot of it is grassroots, right? But the grassroots, like when you are a zero person company, you are the grassroots. And a lot of the learning and a lot of the building of culture happens by you see what happens and you copy what gets done. The way you treat your customers is the way that your first salesperson treats their customers, is the way the customer support people treat your customers, right? Yeah. If you are kind on the phone, but then afterwards you mutter to yourself, oh, those bastards don't know what they're doing, right? That shows a certain disdain for your customers that will uh, propagate throughout the organization. And as a CEO, if you heard somebody else talk crap about your customers, you would you would go and hold them to task, right? But yeah. you forget that that's where it started. And a lot of the time, I think that's a really crucial thing. When I say your responsibility is hiring, it doesn't mean that the CEO is involved with every hire, but they have to hire the right people in the org to be able to kind of set the tone and set to like what is important for hiring. Uh, and again, that also speaks to culture to a large degree. So now we're getting into uh, scaling culture, which I've always, you know, is something that I hear all the time as sort of the wicked problem. Mm -hmm. What are your observations around um, the companies that you've seen do it well and the companies that, well, let's start with the companies that have done it well. What have they done that have made the difference? What are the things that if, if someone's listening now and they're at 50 people or 200 people and they're going to continue to grow what 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 are the what advice would you have for doing it well? I think it is to keep your eyes and ears open. Right, you can do a lot through observation, and the other thing is uh, leading by example, like how you do things, how you start meetings, how you. Like I worked with one company uh, at some place who at some point who was in the meditation space. And whenever they did a did a meeting, they had like one minute of silence to settle in and to kind of focus. And like when you run into a meeting and you're ready to discuss a budget and it starts with one minute of silence, that's a very different and kind of jarring at first uh, way to start a meeting. 
But you realize, wait a minute, this is the ethos of the company. This is the reason they exist. If the company says, oh, meditation and mindfulness is important, but every meeting starts with like, oh my God, everything's on fire. Ah! <laughs> but you, you're not living your values. And I think no. that is really what it boils down to. Like, if you know what your values are, live them and insist on them. Like, if you if you are a company that insists on on environmental and green tech and things like that, make sure that the snacks in the cafeteria are sustainable. Make sure that your uh, servers are carbon offset. Make sure that you give people, you know, encourage public transportation. Like all those kinds of things, you can live your values. And it's incredible how often you have a like, especially at large organizations, you have a CEO that says, "Oh, we care about A, B, and C," and then you walk into their cafeteria and everything is plastic forks and right. like okay well you know just 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 find alignment like if you care about the mission if the values matter insist on them so uh i i i think that's i think that's right you have to really model that behavior both on what you personally are doing as a leader and and it can be a leader all the way from the ceo to you know a small group manager that's going to be make a big difference but but also living that and with through the policies and the choices that you've made as an organization now for a green tech company or for Patagonia, it's easy to identify some of those things. But even at those companies, it's hard to identify all of the things. Like, how do you continue to live those values? They become a little more subtle. You've given examples of, I would say, extreme examples or extreme, uh, extremely visible examples. Mm -hmm. So what I think, where I think the challenge becomes um, really um, difficult is when you are, you know, some software platform service and, you know, you have values that, you know, maybe aren't directly connected to the pro the product that you're, they're serving. So then it becomes about embodying those in a more maybe subtle way might be the right mm -hmm. way to put it. Um, I don't know if you've, you've seen, and I'll put you on the spot, um, other organizations that that have more um, values that are a little more kind of heady or um, not as obvious and and how they might have or have not lived lived those in your observation. Yeah. I mean, it comes up all the time, right? Like if you are a carbon capture company, you would expect you to do that. Yes. Uh, because exactly. it's a core value. But I think what we're really talking about when it comes to culture is like, yes, you can't screw up the core values, right? You have to get those right. If you are Zappos, you have to have great customer service. There's just It's just not optional. That is literally the reason your company exists. Yes. Without good service, you're just Amazon for shoes. And literally, because Amazon bought them, you are Amazon for shoes. <laughs> yeah, so good right. service is the only thing you have going for you and can't drop the ball there. Where it becomes less, and I think this is actually where the rubber really hits the road, is like, what are the auxiliary values for your company? Mm. And how does that, like, if you say you are family friendly, like, and that is something that applies to all companies, right? You can choose, like the, the founders make choices and those choices will come at a cost. All choices come at a cost. But the question is, how do you, like, there's a saying, like, uh, where, where, um, uh, where, your, where your focus goes, your energy flows. And I think it's like, if you're able to, to, in meetings and in these kinds of things, hold people to task and say, hey, our company's core values are A, B, and C, but our auxiliary values are we want to be uh, carbon neutral, family friendly, and um, 
you know, leave the planet better than we found it, like a campsite rule kind of thing, right? Then in every single meeting, you have an opportunity to touch on one or more of those. And if as the CEO or if as a leader in that org, you know, everybody gets up and start working out at a meeting and somebody doesn't break their, bring their cup with them, hey, you know, we're a family here. Who's going to clean up this cup? There's no reason to be a jerk. Just put it in a bin or put it in a recycling. And just little things like that, like building in peer pressure into how the organization works. Family-friendly mm. one is a particularly important one in startups, right? The, ten the tendency is to work 12, 13, 14-hour days. And that isn't like, at the very core of it is not family friendly. At one of my past companies, I started saying, hey, you can come in early if you have to, but you have to leave at six. I call it leaving by example. But the point was like, <laughs> I, I want it. people to be able to have their time and to have their, and because I was doing that, and you know, I would just walk, like, I walk out the door and turn off the lights in the office. And I was like, look, you can sit, you, you don't get to sit here in the dark, but this is like, we have to leave. Like if you have more work to do, there's always tomorrow. If you, did it get, did it, if you didn't get it done, let's talk about priorities. If you have more to do and you feel like it has to happen today, like maybe you need more support. Maybe you need to, to do the job more effectively. Can we talk about what this looks like? And at one point, I had a, a colleague of mine come to me. He's like, oh, I had a doctor's appointment. It was really important, but I still got to get this, this task done. I was like, okay, why does it need to get done today? They're like, oh, well, you told me. I was like, well, that's a great reason, but also... Like, I am very serious about, like, I want to go home. I want to read my book. I want to hug my wife. I want to have all these experiences. And I insist that everybody else does too. That's a core value of mine. And so let's talk about what that means. But I think that that is true for like, that was a 12 person company, right? So it was relatively small. But I think that also goes up and down the ranks to much, much, much larger companies. And of course, the individual CEO isn't going to go in and turn somebody's lights off in their office because they haven't left yet. But the fact you could do a quick lap through the office, see who's still there, see, see what's happening, and ask the managers, like, hey, what's going on here? This team seems to always be working late. Like, is there something we can do? Do they need more support? Do they need to show up at work earlier? Or is this actually what they want? If they want to work late because they want to show up at the office late, great then that problem is already solved. But I want to make sure that people have the opportunity for work-life balance. And the problem is if there's, a, uh, if there's a sales team where the work culture is that everybody stays at work till eight, it is very hard to be the person who shows up at 6 a.m. and leaves at four yeah. because everybody else like, and so culturally you have a problem there. And I think that is one of the things that good managers and whole company culture can have a very important impact. So what you're talking about is I think the crux of, I don't think anybody's going to argue, right? The point about like, you've got to live your values. You've got to be consistent. And in my experience, a lot of, there are organizations that are, you know, the leadership is like, well, they're just not aware that they're not doing it, but I think in principle, they agree. So that's a whole nother issue. Um, but what you're now moving into is this living that value and making sure people understand when they aren't mm -hmm. and the the cues or the the nudges that you can provide as both a leader but perhaps even a peer to keep people on on track when it comes to the values and and that i feel is I don't think as Americans, we're very good at confrontation. And I think it's sort of like, well, whatever, I'll just let the cop cup sit there in the conference room. Mm -hmm. 
But I think great leaders and even great peers can step up and say, hey, this is something we all agreed we were going to do. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's make sure we're doing this. Right. Is, is, is that, am I um, perceiving that as one of the key elements I can take from this, from your experience that, that really good culture leaders are able to not just model, but call out the people in, I don't know, all sorts of ways when they're not, not be afraid to call people out. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing is, is, can I, would that be an accurate way to kind of reflect or capture that conceit about a good culture leader? Yeah. With a small caveat. So I, I don't like being called out. Nobody likes being called out, Yeah, but there's a, there's a, there's a tendency of calling people in instead. So instead of like, hey, why did you leave that cup? Say, hey, yeah. we don't leave cups. That's not who we are, mm. right? And so, and so framing it in a way where, you know, hey, we don't use that language. Hey, we, like this company doesn't do that. It's like you speak in an absolute and somebody who feels touched by that or feels addressed by that hopefully gets the hint. It's like, hey, if you don't do the thing, you don't mm -hmm. belong here. That mm -hmm. is not, and so it's kind of a, it, it verges on passive aggression for sure. But I also think that there is something here where you have an opportunity to really speak to your values and to have that as like, hey, our value isn't this. Mm. Um, so call people in by all means. I, I also think that there's that power in that one-on-one -on -one and just saying, hey, I noticed this and I'd love for you, you know, I, this is something that doesn't seem to align is this, you know, do you agree? Let's talk about it. And I think it's a learning opportunity because what I have learned, what I have learned from helping organizations activate their values is that you have to have a few of those, oops, I didn't realize you were talking about this when mm. we're talking about that particular value for it to really come to life. Yeah. Uh, and you, so, so to me, it's like, hey, we got to do this this way. And you know what? Those quiet conversations, if they're if they hit the right mark, will that that word will spread? I think mm -hmm. I've observed, right? Like yeah, and I think the truth is, in a lot of especially larger orgs, the 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 strategy and the big annual strategy adjustments, it sounds like a lot of blah 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 to the workers, right? Yep. Because they're like, well, look, dude, I'm over here trying to do my sales. I don't, yeah, whatever. We're green now. Cool. I still have my quotas to hit, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Thanks. Thanks so off. much. I got, I still, yeah, I still cool, have Cool, to... cool, cool. This doesn't yeah. help me. Yes, exactly. But, and, and so strategy is one thing, but the transition from strategy to tactics and, you know, it is possible to talk to your managers. Like, Hey, I know that this is like, we didn't start out this way, but this is important to us now. And we want to make this change. Like change management is the hardest thing in business, like by quite some considerable margin. So take a leaf out of that. How do you make substantive changes in an organization? And mm. if this is one you want to make, realize it comes at a cost. You know, there's going to be management costs. There's going to be um, overheads related to that. That is okay. Yeah. But you have to model to the managers how they can do that. Because there's a very short step from having like a, a, a writ from up high that then turns into like draconian measures down the road. And then there's a punishment culture 
around you left a cup you get a penalty right and then suddenly like there's no fun in that and culturally that says a lot about the company too well we're in an opportunity where a lot of organizations are relearning how to work because we're all all of a sudden distributed or hybrid or whatever it is and have you um seen any organizations consciously and productively make some of these calls about shifting ways of working i mean if we're talking about culture and culture change this culture change has been forced on all of us mm-hmm. are there any you know are there any examples that you, you've you've seen in the past couple of years where you're like oh that's one way to do it that would be great if yeah more could do it or maybe a negative. I don't know. Also, you could be like, that's also not the way to do it. But I think we right. I think we're all looking at a lot of companies that are like, nope, nope, that's not the way to do it. So right. Well, I think there's a couple of interesting things, right? Uh, one important distinction to make is that remote work does not mean re- uh, work from home. Remote work does not mean work from home. What is it? Like if, what does it mean? So if you don't have a centralized office, it is possible to co-work with people who are local. It is possible to go to a co-working space. It's possible to, you're just saying we don't have a central office. And in a lot of people's mind, it means, oh, now I have to work from home. So I need a desk, I need an office, but I have a small apartment. Ah, that becomes a huge imposition on people. And being explicit about this, like, hey, we don't need you to come into the office. But that doesn't mean that you have to build out a whole office at your house unless you want to. Like, if that works for you, great. But for some people... That is like, especially extroverts, that is lonely. It is sad. It is miserable. You know, the coffee, you have to make it yourself. Whatever it is that that is the friction or the internet doesn't always work and you can't get good internet and, you know, you're bored of looking at the same things or there's yeah. two people, God forbid, there's two people working from home and now you're overhearing each other's calls and getting on each other's nerves all the time. Like, like giving people the right amount of flexibility and coaching around what it is that remote work means to this organization is a culture shift, but also a culture thing. I think the other thing is you see a lot of companies that really struggled with remote work was because the entire org had really bad culture to begin with. And so the middle managers were used to being able to middle manage by strolling around the office, looking at what was on people's screens and giving people a bollocking for having Facebook up or things like that, right? super like old school cubicle farm stuff. Um, Those managers suddenly really struggled when they couldn't see the people's screens or they couldn't hear how often they were on calls. And they put other measuring tools and other like little demons on people's laptops to measure what they were doing and that kind of stuff. Bossware. Yeah, exactly. And the thing there is that works for some value of works, but realistically, It means that you have a fundamental trust and culture problem within the org. And a lot of orgs that are really struggling with remote work discovered that only when they were forced to go to remote work. Now, how you repair that is well beyond the scope of this conversation. And I honestly wouldn't know. But I also saw some other orgs that were like, oh, well, work remotely now. Yeah, cool. No problem. Right. And it was like, oh, do you need a fast internet connection? Do you need a standing desk? Do you need a better screen? Great. Here's... $2,000 $2,000 you can spend on whatever, build yourself out a nice at home office or, you know, spend mm. it all on Starbucks tokens because you're working from yeah. Starbucks now. Yeah. Oh, everything is cool. But the, the, le- and I think it's a trust. It's a, it's a, it's a trust thing. If you're able to have a level of trust where you're able to trust your employees to get work done in whatever mm. work yeah. means, those orgs had a lot easier time 
if okay uh i agree with the premise but what i've observed is and i think what the reality is is there's different levels of trust across an entire organ especially when you're talking about multi-located or you know organizations and you've got many different you know you've got humans who are all inherently different mm -hmm. and so i think if we were to sort of push this con, cons, this this understanding forward, right? So we're talking about trust, and there's different levels of trust when it comes to um, this hybrid, distributed, remote work. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about we have to give people a certain amount of flexibility and a certain to kind of lean into demonstrating our trust, and mm -hmm. probably that starts with a re setting of expectations of all of our managers of a certain level and saying this is what we're doing let's learn let's let's figure out where the gap is and learn how to trust one another a little bit more and to me this is exactly the pain point that i'm seeing as well so this resonates mm -hmm. and and so i love this idea right so it's like coming back to this kernel of trust how do we train people to trust one another more, that's going to go a long way into solving some of these transitions and shifts in culture. And it's yeah. an opportunity, I think. Totally, 100%. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think the interesting thing is you say learning to trust, and I think there's truth in there, but I also think the the adage that um, trust is earned is also 100% true, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the question, the learning piece here is like, hey, Josh, if we start working together and you know, either you're my manager or I'm your manager, like what are the hurdles like what do i need from to see from you in order to start trusting you and you know if people's minds when they're listening to this they go to oh don't steal from the company it's like that's a really low bar that's, that's low not bar. what we're talking about here <laughs> yes, right it's back. also not do i at some point in the middle of the day put on a load of laundry right that takes 10 minutes people take 10 minute breaks all the time that's not what we're talking about what we're talking about is if I'm your sales guy, do you trust me to have the company's interest in mind to help grow this organization the best I can? If I can do that in five hours in a day or eight hours in a day, it doesn't really matter as long as the incentives are aligned. And I think a lot of this comes to incentive alignment, right? How can you get the most out of me as a worker and motivate me as a worker? And do I need internal motivation? Do I need external motivation? Do I need incentives? Like, and that is different from person to person, right? Some people, and mm. you know, you probably have done a lot of talking about this in other podcast episodes, but some people just need a pat on the back and like, a, well, attaboy, keep going. Other mm -hmm. people like even very small bonuses, like a $50 gift card to Amazon for a sale made to some people is like, oh my God, yes, I, I can go buy a, a gadget or whatever. And for mm. other people, they're like, screw you, 50 bucks is nothing. Right. And so the, the way the incentives land are very different. And so figuring out culturally, how do you design incentive structures and support structures and structures of trust that could be different from employee to employee? And what you really need there is for, for managers to be able to see the humanity in the people they manage. And that, I mean, that's a tall order, but I think we're in a place now where yeah. like all the arguments about millennials don't want to work here. It's like, well, they don't want to work here because you're a horrible person yeah. um and finding ways of like oh in a world where people are a little bit more heart open they are a little bit more open to having conversations they're a little bit more like the, the line between per person and um 
and work blurs more because people choose work that they passionately care about. All those things are real and organizations have to kind of culturally grow alongside that if they want to retain their staff and their, and their, and their people. It is, it's, it is hard. It's a, it is a tall order, like you said, but it is a something worth stretching towards, right? We'll never get mm -hmm. there, but, and, and you're right. I think in this new world, we're forced to adopt. I, and I think it's a model that we need that, that is going to, that we have to move towards, which is moving away from the industrial era, top-down micromanagement this things are just moving too fast and we've got to be macro managers. And so when we're talking about incentives, we're talking about actually knowing people, we're talking about trust. This is the like there's there's plenty of uh organizations that are being like, I don't have time for this crap. And my argument is you're not gonna have a business to run if you don't invest in this. And that's the big shift. You need to start doing, you need to create the structures that the 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 floor plans right we used to spend all this money on square footage and that would do the hard work but now we don't have that and so now it is your responsibility to build that trust and those are going to be the organizations that are going to survive long term and that's the ones that are going to outpace you because command and control is just not scalable yeah so no notes 100 100 no no it's not good for a podcast conversation. I yes. know. Good but, job. You know, say something I can disagree with and I'll disagree. Um, all right. All right. Very good. Um, okay. So um, uh, any predictions? So I know you, you're kind of, you're in there in the, you're, you have a particular talent. I, I know uh, for both being in the weeds, but also seeing it from a, um, from a, a, a 10,000, 30,000 foot view, however it is. Um, when we're thinking about, uh, uh, businesses and organizations and in technology, any, any predictions or observations when it comes to how these organizations are working or what you see, any trends that are kind of on the horizon. And, and I would challenge you, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay with you if you go and wait out on a limb, because I think those are more interesting. And then we can come back and say why or why, why you weren't correct. And mm -hmm. that that's okay as well. So what are you seeing coming up? I think there's a lot of pontificating about the future of work. And a lot of that is very, very interesting. And what people forget is the, is the presence of work, like what is happening right now. I think um, what often I see when people are, especially if they start thinking about cultural shifts and cultural changes for how they want their employees to work, like a shift from office first to remote first or hybrid or whatever, what they forget is like taking stock of where they are now. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff about what's what, what what we're doing now is actually working really well. You don't have to shred it all and start over. Like if 10% change makes people 90% happier, make that 10% change. I feel like there's often a temptation with, uh, you know, especially if you get consultants involved, but like for, for any reason, there's a temptation to go, nothing's working, rip it up, throw it away, start <laughs> over. And that causes so much disruption that, Short term, it causes unhappiness. Long term, it causes confusion. And you end up with this like, like an organization that feels like it's like it's jello, right? You're constantly, everything's shifting, everything's changing, everything is confusing. And the real truth is, if you got to, I don't know, $100 million of revenue and all this kind of stuff, and you somehow survived the pandemic, you're doing most things right. And like giving, like, 
whenever I work with later stage companies, they, they won't give themselves credit for the stuff that's working because the mm. stuff that doesn't work give, chafes mm. so much. And I'm like, guys, write down 20 things that work, three things that don't work, then go fix the three things that work, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It just doesn't, and I know that's not a super controversial thing to say, but I, I see people make that mistake so often. They actually, huh. in the process, burn so many things to the ground that really don't need to be burned to the ground. Right. Like move fast, break thing, break all the things you don't need to break. break yeah. All break everything, <laughs> break everything. Okay. Yeah. So don't break everything. Uh, I, that is, I think that's very wise. Um, I think that's right. There is this like, holy shit, everything's changing. We got to do everything. You're like, well, what's working and how, what does it look like now? Like maybe it's, you know, we had these things and take this sort of sentiment of that or, you know, whatever it might be and, and poured it over to this new world. Or continue to do it. So yeah, I I love that. I mean, that's an approach that I I particularly appreciate, right? Where it's like, yes, it is important to understand what you're doing wrong, but let's underscore the things that are going well. So, mm -hmm. hey, Kemp's, it's uh, really good to uh, to see you and talk with you. If you are interested in learning more about uh, pitch ha uh, pitching and uh, pitch co coach, how what he does to to uh, help coach or startups, go to haje.me. Uh, you can also read him on TechCrunch. Awesome to see you. Thank you for coming on Great Mondays Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to radio.greatmondays.com. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays. And you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.